Good morning. We are grateful for the good crowd that is gathered here. As was said, we have visitors in our midst, and we're thankful for that. A few weeks ago, we had a, a West Tennessee takeover. My family was here, and, and we had so the Williams family that visits with us ever so often that uh, was here. We had a lot of people from West Tennessee. This morning, we've got a, a North Alabama takeover. Uh, we've got some folks visiting from the Huntsville area. We've got some folks I see from the Florence area, and we're thankful for uh, their presence and many others. We're grateful that you are here. The preacher always appreciates the song leader asking everyone to stand. Uh, certainly might, I guess, in a health perspective, help with blood clots. Uh, but it also helps with the preacher problem of everyone, you know, getting too comfortable in their seats uh, during the lesson. The elders have not taken my wife's advice, which is that we need personal seat warmers and coolers in each spot. They've not taken my advice that we need a little button I can push to poke people, you know, if I catch somebody, you know, out there dozing a little bit. So, but as I've told many folks before, when I was a young person and growing up, I was one of those every once in a while, so I certainly understand. But we're thankful for the building. We're thankful for the opportunity to be here and to assemble together. And we are thankful for your presence, and we hope that we can greet you in just a few moments and continue uh, to visit with one another. We're thankful for the time of worship, but we are also thankful for the time of fellowship that we can enjoy. As we begin this morning, I'm going to ask you to do two things. The first is that you can be turning in your Bible to James chapter 1. Turning in your Bible to James chapter 1. And if you've not already done that or you're already there, if you have a bulletin in front of you and you're going to be taking notes and following along with the, the notes that we provide in our bulletin, I'm going to ask you to do a second thing, and that is that you take where it says James chapter 1 and verse 16 and mark out the 6 and put verse 19. Somebody messed up the bulletin this week. Now, there's one person who's always involved with the bulletin. There's one person who can mess it up. There's one person that we always blame when things go wrong with the bulletin. And that person is me because I messed it up this week. So, but in look, doing my notes last night, I looked and I said, well, if that don't beat all, that that just says James 1.16 instead of James 1.19. So we're going to actually be studying James chapter 1 and verse 19 this morning. And as you're turning to James chapter 1, if you're not already there, you may notice that James chapter 1 and verse 16 doesn't really need to be re-examined because it doesn't say a whole lot there. Be not deceived. I don't know that that would be a very long lesson if we wanted to look at that passage. But as we think about verse number 19, and we're going to do so this morning, I'm going to tell you that this lesson uh, is borrowed uh, but I think it's a great thought. We have a, a brother who preaches out in Texas by the name of Wes McAdams. Wes runs a website that you may have seen before or seen articles share. He shares a lot of good information. And in uh, going through that from time to time, I come across some things that stir my thoughts and we can take and expound upon. And I think this is a, a great uh, thought. In fact, we've done this a few times already here. I forgot to look this morning, but I think it may have even been in 2020 before the pandemic started that maybe January or February of 2020, we took a look at, Je at Genesis, excuse me, Genesis chapter one and verses one through the first few verses there, Genesis chapter one. And we looked at those passages because you would not think that people would misunderstand or get Genesis chapter 1 wrong, but yet we talked about the many different theories that people use, including things about evolution, that they try to fit into Genesis chapter 1. So it helps us to consider passages sometimes again. I asked the question, re-examined. And I would submit to you this morning that I don't take that word lightly. I, when I say that we might need to re-examine a passage, I don't use that in just a, a, any kind of manner. In fact, I think I need to say that because very often I have encouraged you, uh, we need to be careful when people use words that way. 
Because often when we hear people say that they want to re-examine something in the Bible, it's used in context of the fact that they want to do what they want to do. And so they're re-examining the scripture and they're saying, well, maybe we can, we can introduce some different thoughts regarding baptism. Maybe that passage on marriage, divorce, and remarriage doesn't, doesn't really mean that. And we're going to re-examine it. And so I caution you often that we be careful when we use words like that. But at the same time, it can certainly be helpful when you think about passages that you have memorized, that you know. There are things such as John 3.16. People use John 3.16 to say that all a person has to do is believe. So if a person says that, would it help us to re-examine it? Well, maybe in light of other things. So as we consider this morning this particular passage, we don't take it lightly. And I hope that you'll listen to everything we have to say and consider exactly what James is trying to say by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, what God is trying to say to us. You know, it's true that some passages of Scripture lend themselves to being easily taken out of context. Their meaning seems to be self-evident, and their context sometimes seems to be inconsequential. One of those passages is James chapter 1 and verse 19. You may have it memorized. You may have said it many times before. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Now, depending on the passage or, excuse me, the translation that you have in front of you, you may see a few different words there, uh, such as wrath or anger or other ways that it may be worded. But you understand the cont- or you understand the words in general. It seems pretty simple, doesn't it? Seems pretty straightforward. In fact, we take this and we make it into a nice little saying that we teach our children, and that sometimes we as adults that forget and we say, God gave us two ears, one mouth that we should listen twice as much as we talk, and that's true. In fact, being swift to hear and slow to speak and slow to wrath, that's not a bad life practice. We might say that's a good thing that we should do. But when we really think about what James is trying to say here, and maybe in the context of the verses around it, maybe we can take something from this lesson, and that's what we want to consider. Now, the apparent meaning, when we first think about this passage, deals with interpersonal relationships, does it not? Is that not usually what we mean when we read James 1, 19? In fact, I'll suggest to you that I've probably said it that way before in lessons, sort of just pulled it out in a lesson about something different and said, hey, we need to be, we need to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. When read apart from its context, this verse seems to be leaning itself towards our interpersonal relationships. It very well it very well could be helpful advice when dealing with a friend or dealing with a family member or a neighbor. It might be good marital advice or it might help children deal with their feelings. It might help de-escalate a conflict or an argument. It might help someone avoid jumping to conclusions or making uh, make unfair assumptions about people. It might, it might even help us from sticking our foot in our mouth from time to time like we're known to do. And though these words, this, this passage, may, could certainly prove true and helpful in many different situations, when we're, what we're going to do through the rest of the lesson is take a look at what James says around this particular passage. And it could be that maybe James didn't have those things in mind. 
Not that James never stuck, stuck his foot in his mouth or that James didn't have marital problems or family problems that he might need to take those words and apply them to his lives, but it could be that of all the situations that we think about and some that we just listed, that we fail to apply them to the very situation that James had in mind. Is it? Is it a good life practice? I suggest yes. In fact, the Bible that I typically use that I kind of preach from here has some of the references in the middle, and it references four different passages from Proverbs that deal with being slow to speak and slow to anger. Proverbs 10 in verse 19, Proverbs 17 in verse 27, and many others that deal with being slow to speak and slow to anger. You know the book of Proverbs, right? We go back there, we find a host of things that are good life principles, good things that we should live by. So these words certainly apply that way. They're a good life practice, but can we go further? Well, one thing that we do when we begin to consider the context is we consider the audience. We consider the audience. So as you're making your notes there, if you're following along, when Wes McAdams, Brother Wes McAdams that wrote this, was writing, and he wrote concerning the book of James this particular statement or statements. James seems to be writing to the kind of Christians who think very highly of themselves. The kind of people who consider themselves to be wise, religious, and capable teachers. They are critical and judgmental. They want to live comfortable lives. They envy wealth and scorn, they envy wealth, excuse me, and scorn poverty. They believe themselves to have a lot of faith and a lot of wisdom, but what they really have is a lot of words. Now, when we say that, we. How do you get that out of just that short passage there? But look at James chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. There's a warning there about dealing with those who are rich and dealing with those who may be poor. We go over to James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, and we see again warning, warnings for those who are rich and how they interact with others. We go back to James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26, and he talks about the fact that faith, which is essential. The Hebrew writer says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. We have to have faith. But James says, writing by inspiration as well, that we must also have works. You see, the audience seems to be people who think a lot of themselves, but they still have work to do. James's audience was eager to teach, but they actually needed to be taught. They had a lot of opinions and a lot of thoughts. But those opinions and thoughts were not manifesting themselves in love and good works. They seemed to be content with talk rather than action. So we have to pause here and we have to ask you, do you know anybody like this? We have to stop here and we have to ask ourselves, am I like this sometimes? Which is why James had to remind him also in James chapter 1 verses 26 and 27. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained or unspotted from the world. He continues in all of these other passages we've noted to hammer to these people that they need to stop talking about religion and they need to start practicing religion do you know anyone like that have you ever been like that but you know those are good thoughts and that's apparently the audience that he is writing to but 
But it's very hard to teach people who think they have all the answers. It's very hard to teach people who think they have all the answers. When anyone presumptuously believes they ought to be the teacher, and if you're still there in James, we're not going very far today, James chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, beginning to speak about the tongue, James writes about teachers. And he says, let not many of you become teachers. Now, wait a minute. We stand up here. I think Brian Sorello stood up here about two weeks ago and said, we need teachers. Are we, are we backwards here? Are we not saying what the Bible says? Don't be teachers. But what we begin to understand is, is there is a great and strict warning here for people who would be teachers. We want you to be teachers. We want people to teach here at the congregation. We all need to be teachers in a sense. But there is a warning. We have to be careful that we do not think we have all the answers. And when anyone presumptuously believes that they ought to be the teacher rather than the student, it's very hard to teach that person anything. Now, we're talking in a scriptural sense. We're talking in a biblical sense. But I know, I asked the question, but I know you know somebody like that. I worked in the secular field for a while. I dealt with people like that. You know they're fixing to mess that up. They're going to have to redo it later in the day. But they just won't listen. That's the way we can all be from time to time. And that's the audience that James seems to be considering here when we look at the context of who he is talking to. So, that being said, look in your Bible. James chapter 1, let's look at the passage together, beginning in verse number 17 and going through verse 21. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now, you're going to notice some different words there. I oftentimes use the New King James almost always. I sometimes like to, to turn to the English Standard for a different consideration. This is one of those passages, if you have the King James in front of you, that you get a bit of a chuckle out of, although it's not meant to be humorous. But that's the passage in verse number 21 where you read that, therefore lay aside all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. And you read those words and you say, what? What is he talking about here? And that's where other translations sometimes help. Overflow of wickedness. Overflow of wickedness or rampant, rampant wickedness. Now, the other thing you might notice if you opened up your Bible and we're looking there is James chapter 1 verses 16 and 17 through verse 21 may not be grouped together as one paragraph. Now, we say it all the time here, but we know that the Bible, the Bible chapters and verses are not inspired. The, the words are inspired. The, the words that we have, the letters that we have, but somebody came along later and said, well, this looks like a good break. Let's make that chapter two. And so it's easy to then take verses. In fact, the Bible I'm using right here has verses 19 and 20 together separate from those other passages. But let's consider the context this morning. In fact, in the immediate context, we would notice that James is describing the word of truth in verse number 18. James seems to be describing the word of truth and the process by which it saves. 
Like Jesus, do you remember Luke chapter 8? Luke chapter 8 verse 11 is the explanation, but in Luke chapter 8 is where Luke records the parable of the sowers or the explanation of it. And Jesus says very plainly that the seed is the word. So we know that to be the case. And isn't it interesting? By inspiration of the Holy Spirit, James writing much later would record for us that James seems to be using the same language. That the seed is the word. He seems to be using a seed metaphor here to describe the word of truth. When the word of truth is implanted, verse 21, look at the whole passage, the whole context. When the word of truth is implanted in us, it makes, back to the end of verse number 18, a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And as God's new creatures, we can experience the salvation and righteousness of God. We know other passages that talk about the word of truth. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, that the word of God is living. It is powerful. It is sharp. It is piercing. That's what the word of truth is. Also in James chapter 1 there, we stopped, but look at verse 22. And following, he begins to describe it as a mirror. That we look into the mirror and we observe ourselves. We look into the word of God and we should observe ourselves following exactly what it should be, like a mirror. So James is describing the word of truth here, but let's go further. Let's not stop there. James is also discussing the fact that we should be receiving the word and receiving and being transformed by the word not only not only requires repentance and it does require repentance but it also requires meekness it's a word that was used in our class this morning by one of our good sisters from the book of titus we talked about having meekness practicing meekness in our life now you may have heard a lesson on meekness before the word meekness is a word we desperately need to understand because it is used here by james it is used by paul writing to titus and other people but it has a lot to do with not being defensive. Receiving the word with meekness has a lot to do with not being defensive. When we feel someone is accusing us of wrongdoing, we have a tendency to lash out defensively. Have you ever had an experience like that with a dog? That's the example that we usually use. I listen to some radio hosts sometimes, and that's what they joke about. If they poke fun at someone, and then they lash back out at them, they say, oh, you know, it's like a kicked dog, or it's like a dog. And that's the way we react sometimes. When someone says something to us, rather than receiving it or hearing it, whether it's joking or whether it's serious, we tend to lash out defensively. But this tendency to lash out can keep the word of truth from being implanted and prevent us from being saved. So when James says, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger or wrath, he seems to be telling them not to angrily and defensively close their ears to the word of truth. If they do that, then it's going to prevent that from doing its saving work. And here's the thing. James knows that his audience is going to have an, a tendency to say, nope, not me. That's not me. That's not true. I object every time he tries to warn them about their actions and bring the truth to their hearts. In fact, he knows that their defensive anger will not produce the righteousness of God. That's what verse 20 says. 
It's probably connected or possibly connected in your Bible. Every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That's what we're after. That's what we have to have in practice in our lives is the righteousness of God. And when we do not receive the word of truth with meekness, then we are in danger of lashing out and being defensive and we will not have the righteousness of God in our lives. In fact, let's take it a step further. We like to step on toes from time to time. We like to get real serious and talk about our lives. But in the age of social media, when nearly everyone can presume to be a teacher, speaking is easier than listening. Bridling the tongue, as James is going to talk about in chapter 2 or chapter 3, bridling the tongue is harder than ever. And defensive anger is never in short supply. Poor, poor Facebook catches a lot of the flack, but there's a lot of social media sites and there's a lot of defensive anger. There's a lot of people not bridling their tongue. There's a lot of people claiming to know it all and have it all figured out and wanting to share that with the world. And a lot of people who get offended and don't receive the truth. And there's just a lot of things that are going on in that pressure cooker of the internet and social media. James' message James's message seems to be incredibly relevant even for us today. When someone is trying to speak truth to us, when someone is trying to teach us, and yes, when someone is trying to correct us, we need to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Now you can already hear the objections, but that's when someone is trying. That's only when they are speaking the word of truth. I already know they aren't. I already know them, whoever they or them are. But I know that they're not speaking the word of truth. So I don't have to listen to them. That's the objections that we begin to toss out. But don't you suppose that that is exactly, exactly the kind of angry and defensive objection that James was trying to prevent? No one ever objects to what they know to be the truth. We only, we only object when we suspect something to be false. Which leads us to a couple of tough statements here towards the end of our lesson. As we make application for our lives, we would notice that hard truths sometimes are only seen to be true when we sit with them a while. Again, no one ever objects to what they know to be the truth. We only object when we suspect something may be false. But sometimes hard truths are only seen to be true when we sit with them a while. And let's take it a step further. Let, let's go a little bit further and try to make application. Hard truths are only received when we receive them with meekness. Now, that being said, sure, there may be a time to object. There may be a time to speak. But we must be slow to do so. There may even be a time to get angry about something that has been said. But we must be even slower about that reaction. Before we speak, and especially before we get angry, we must be quick to hear. Now, the discussion that happened in class this morning, I promised them if they'd hang around, they'd get a little bit further explanation. But we, we talked about this a little bit because one of the passages that we were looking at from 1 Thessalonians talks about that we should live peaceably. That we should even, did you know, did you know it even says there, mind our own business. That's what it says. So what some people say is, well, then I can't talk to anybody. I can't judge. 
I, I can't ever correct someone because I'm supposed to mind my own business. I'm supposed to keep the peace. But how do we balance that with the other passages, things like this that talk about that there should be correction? You know, one of the things is that is often pointed out is Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, where Jesus talks about the judging that should be condemned and the judging that should be done. You see, some people hear this lesson and they say, well, wait a minute, you're not perfect, you can't correct me. And they go to Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, but have you ever actually read the passage there? Most people haven't when they use it. But Jesus says that you're supposed to get the beam out of your own eye so that you can help with the speck. He doesn't say, hey, that person's got a speck and you've got a beam, so I guess we're just all going to live with that in our eyes. He says you get the beam out of your eye, you live righteously, you do your best to follow God so that you can help others. Not only that, but when Paul would write in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15, he tells us and everyone to speak the truth. He says it. Speak the truth. The word of truth. We're supposed to do it. But to do so in love. How do we go about correcting others and receiving the correcting? Well, first of all, we all do it in love. Secondly, from this passage, we have to do it with meekness. So it's tough to balance. And, and I'll tell you, I don't like confrontation quite often. Uh, most of us don't. But if we always avoid it, we are going to allow lots of people to live a sinful life and be on their way to a devil's hell living in sin because we won't help them. We won't tell them. And on the other hand, just as we're talking about this lesson, many of us won't listen when somebody tries to correct us. That is a hard balance to find. But I think James is saying here, and the Bible says all throughout, we have to try. If we love one another, we will try. Because it's that important that we follow and obey the word of truth. That our lives do not produce wrath, but the righteousness of God. And it's hard, but that's what we should be after. And there is even a biblical example. Do you recall in James, excuse me, Galatians? Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 21. There's a biblical example of this. And what happens is, those of us who don't like confrontation, when we read it, we even like, you know, squimish just a little bit thinking about it. Do you remember Galatians chapter 2 and verse 11? Paul says, Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face. Can you imagine two guys, pillars of the faith, that people look to for help, coming nose to nose, ready to fight or argue about something? But what does Paul say? Because he was to be blamed. It's possible that I'm wrong. It's possible that you're wrong from time to time. And when we're wrong, we have to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. How do you think it went there in Galatians chapter 2? It's one of those things we wish we could go back and watch one day because it had to have been uncomfortable. But Paul says he was wrong and I had to help him with that. And the rest of the passage goes on from there that we could talk about it another time. But it's a great biblical example that sometimes we stand in need of being corrected. And when we are in that state, we have to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. The person doing the correcting has to do so, speaking the truth in love. But there is a problem that needs to be fixed. And we have to receive the word of truth with meekness. As we said in the beginning, James chapter 1 and verse 19 can be helpful in all sorts of situations. After all, it is never wrong. I mean, this is what we tell our kids. It's never wrong to be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. But it is especially important when someone is trying to correct 
our lives with the word of truth. So next time the preacher or the teacher says something that steps on our toes, and I would even go further because it's easier for the preacher to stand up here where nobody can talk back most of the time, but when your brother or sister comes to you from time to time and tries to maybe help you with something that you're struggling with, let's be slow to say I disagree with that and quick to ask ourselves, what if that is true? How do you react? As we conclude our lesson, we're about to ask the question here, how do you react to the gospel? The actual word of truth, the gospel that saves. But also, how do you react to correction? Confrontation is tough. It's never fun. It's nothing that anyone wants to do. I I believe, I firmly believe that it's one of the great struggles of an eldership and elders to know that they have to do that from time time to time as they watch out for other souls. But it's hard. But if we would all practice what James seems to be saying here, that we need to be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to wrath, and oftentimes those things will go a little easier. Sometimes you may go to correct someone and they may say, if they receive it with meekness, you know, that's not true. You misheard or or what you observed wasn't what you really thought it was, and, and you can get on the same page and fix that. Sometimes maybe you need to be corrected. And if you receive it with meekness when it comes time for the correction, then hopefully we can all move on and be right with God. But even as we said just a moment ago, as we conclude our thoughts here, and we're about to sing this song of invitation that's been selected, the most important way that this becomes a factor is when it comes to actually becoming a Christian, receiving the gospel of Christ, understanding what he did, understanding what you must do in becoming a Christian, having your sins washed away by his blood. You probably know, either from your life or someone that you've studied with, how hard it is when you confront someone with the word of truth. You go to tell them that Jesus is Christ, that God is the Father, that he died for our sins, but we must change our lives. And people say, well, you mean i got to give that up? See, they're having problems receiving it with meekness. They're having problems wanting to become a Christian because they struggle with what they know the Bible to say. If you're here this morning and you're not a child of God, we'll be singing to encourage you. One of our elders will be coming forward in just a moment as we begin singing to to talk with you. We would gladly study with you even more this day or as soon as possible because it is that important that we receive the truth and receive it with meekness. Maybe you're here this morning and there is something amiss in your life. Maybe it's of a sinful nature. Maybe it's of a public nature and you'd like to come forward and make that known so that we can pray with you and for you. As we hear lessons, sometimes they may not exactly apply to the invitation This is certainly one that does. Maybe you're here and there is something that you have struggled with and you have been quick to speak. You have been quick to anger and slow to listen. It's very easy to get those mixed up sometimes. We'll be singing to encourage you as well that you would make a change in your life. We are here as a family to encourage one another. It's hard when things are amiss. But we have opportunities even like this to sing, to encourage you to make a change. Don't leave with a question on your mind. Don't leave with a struggle in your life that we cannot help you with because we will. We can. We can pray with you. Just make it known now as we stand together and as we sing.